Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, this is Tom Dunlap. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Letter Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I have Braven Greenish, and Braven is with a company called Three Good. Three Good's based in Los Angeles, California, uh, but they help people, I think, all over the world with managing their employees' mental well-being and also with managing companies' corporate responsibility and social good and implementing programs that do that. And they have a software platform as well. And I, I want to hear about the software platform because it just sounds cool. I don't know how you manage mental health with software, but it sounds amazing. And uh, and I have some questions about that as a lawyer, like how can we do that as employers or how can employers do that? And we'll hit those. And then I'm curious about the corporate social responsibility piece that you do, how corporations interface with that and what that is and what that looks like and what kind of uptake you have. and. Is that on the software? So anyway, I'm talking a lot. Let's get to Braven. So Braven, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super interesting company. So tell me first a little bit about 3Good. Tell me about the company and how it works and you know what you guys do. Absolutely. Yeah, we're pre-seed company. Uh, we just launched our third iterative MVP into the market. We have a bunch of businesses already using the platform in our beta, and we're seeing some great results. The reason 3Good exists was really my vision to try to empower the workforce, employees to eradicate the global water crisis by adopting better mental health habits at work, while at the same time trying to figure out a way that actually was hitting most of the people that were struggling with early indicators. And so our whole purpose is really to equip HR with better predictive analytics and tools to help fight employee burnout, which is the biggest contributor to attrition. So really, that's our laser pinpoint focus on our platform to give the benefit to HR to be able to fight against burnout. How we do that is really twofold. It's through social good and uh, psychology. We call it self-care. But really what we have is we have a team of psychologists that built out the platform and mental health experts and evergreen survey platform that sends survey questions to the team on a regular basis on Slack and MS Teams, which is where teams spend most of their time. And then from there, they're able to accrue points every time they answer a question that's for their mental good. So these questions around diversity, inclusion, self-identity, mental wellness, like early indicators, so stress, anxiety, parenting, relational issues, traumatic events, all of those things that HR is not equipped to handle on a regular survey, they shouldn't be asking really because they're right. not schooled in it, right? And then lastly, it's stigmatized, right? So supervisors, although there's a lot of good material out there and great books right now on it, supervisors are having a hard time kind of bridging the gap 
and breaking that stigma down and having personal conversations, which is really important, but unfortunately, it's not the norm. And so what we want to be able to do is create this third-party non-biased platform to do that. And then on the other side, the, the employees and the social good side get to attack the social problem, right? By accruing those points, they can redeem those points to donate to a cause of their choice on the three good social good marketplace. So it's really cool, really powerful. So I understand clearly. So this platform, I guess my first question, I'm a lawyer and obviously I'm going to ask the question. I can't go to an employee and say, hey, uh, do you have a mental health problem or tell me about your mental health? And and I imagine my employee is going to be like, I'm not freaking telling you anything about my mental health. That's (laughs) medical. And why would I tell you, my boss or my employer? So how do you guys deal with that? How, how, what does your platform do interface-wise? Absolutely. I mean, we're asking the questions that they're already thinking about. Um, and so it's not awkward because there's not a person involved, right? It's the platform sending the question. It's private. And most wellness platforms are going to be looking at, like you, you mentioned, the critical side where like uh, Ginger, for instance, gives uh, employees access to therapy and uh, psychologists. That's really the issues when employees are dealing with more critical side. With three good, we have a spectrum where we're focusing on the early side, which is really stress and anxiety. And who doesn't struggle with that, right? So we're asking questions related to that to get ahead and mitigate more serious critical issues. And we're finding that, that the employees, especially you know millennials, uh, Gen Z, they want to answer these questions. They want to be able to figure out a way to become less isolated. Okay, so they don't shy away from it, I guess. Yeah, not not like you would think. And so to some degree, and and I, I, if it's anonymized, that totally makes sense to me that it's kind of like a great, in some ways, even therapeutic way to get something out there, right? So my question there is, do employers have any kind of like risk from knowing this stuff? Or is it anonymous? Is the data anonymized back to the employer such that they don't know which employees? You know, is there any connection there between the you know, under the ADA or the Americans with Disabilities Act, like, oh, somebody put something in this platform. Now I need to make an accommodation or I need to reach out or, I mean, how, how does that work? Employees aren't replying with, uh, you know, spilling their guts. This okay. isn't like a survey where they can just fill in whatever they want. I got um, If they do, we actually aren't allowed to share that with anybody. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's totally between them and themselves and itself therapeutic, like you said, because they're just venting to okay. this third-party bot. And so all that data is not stored. It's completely private. It's above board with all the uh, privacy acts. What we do do is we do thumbs up, thumbs down, which is a very simple way to get a pulse on how someone's feeling. Okay. And that thumbs up, thumbs down is categorized using like employee net promoter spectrum. So oh, yeah, sure. Nets. Yeah. So promoters, passives, and detractors. And then we bucket those into, okay, of your team last month were promoters and 20% were detractors. Would you like to follow up with any of these people? Yeah. So So that gives you like a corporate Go ahead. That gives you like a corporate pulse of how your employees are feeling about their work and their workplace and what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And and on a daily basis. Yeah. We call it daily pulse. Can employers use that then to address, like, does it hit critical areas like, I don't like my workstation or I don't like the people I work with. Does it hit things specifically or is it a more general pulse? How, how does that no, 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 Very, very specific. Yes. Yeah. So okay. The questions are, are around, as I mentioned, self-care. They're around community and they're around culture, diversity, and inclusion. 
Wow, that's fascinating. That is a really neat thing. So tell me, how does the, now the exchange part? So there's this part, you, you've got the employees inputting data on the one hand and you know whatever they're doing, even if they're, it's just catharsis, there's value there. And the company's getting value back because they're seeing the pulse of their company in, in a broad, rough spectrum stuff. And they're not incurring any liability. All great stuff. So what is this exchange bit with um, saving the planet and clean water and all of those other things that are going on in this transaction? How does that work? Yeah, great question. So the really, the reason I started the business was my travels to India, primarily South America, uh, in my 20s. And uh, I, I really saw that women were really impacted by not having access to safe water. That was like the trigger for me to start this business. Wow, I wanted to okay. figure out a way to end the global water crisis. And so as Three Good grows and the more employees are on the platform as we bring on subscribing businesses, the more employees are donating directly towards the world uh, uh, global water crisis. So therefore, as the company grows, impact grows. That's why Social Impact Ventures are, are backing us or, and are interested in Three Good. Gotcha. It's a, so, so it's a very important component of ESG, right? I call it the S and CSR in ESG. So you said something interesting a second ago. You said women are impacted by this water crisis, I think you said. And so to me, it's interesting because I guess they're the ones traditionally in, in countries where they have the bigger crisis that are dealing with water supply for families. Is that, I, I'm just wondering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be specific, women in uh, Central Africa, uh, yeah. areas of uh, Asia will walk up to 20, 25 miles a day round trip. Wow. To get to go to the, the closest well to access water for washing, for cleaning, for, uh, for consumption. And so what happens is, is they don't have access to education because of that. So you said your travels inspired you to do this. Tell me about your travels. Like what were you doing in South American India in your 20s? Yeah, just, just trying to figure out life, right? <laughs> I mean, that was, that was it. it was just, I, I led a group over there of college students. Um, wow. I was on a leadership group. And uh, at my church, and uh, and then I just loved it, and I went back. I mean, India is probably one of the most uh, hospitable countries I've ever traveled to. Wow! Um, you know, we met a guy in a train station. He invited us over, a group of us, twelve of us, to his house to have his wife cook food for us, and we literally met him at a train station. Right? That would not happen in Los Angeles. I grew up in SoCal. You know, probably someone was weird. Yeah. <laughs> it probably would not happen in DC either. If somebody yeah. invites you to their house for dinner that you met at a train station, you probably shouldn't go. Um, yep. Here, yeah. India may be fine. The biggest impact was seeing India, there's so much adverse poverty, but there's also extreme wealth. Okay. And that's very similar to Los Angeles, where you have thousands living under the poverty line. You have the biggest homeless uh, percentage in the country, like 95,000 people living homeless, probably more now since 2020. Right. And for me, the socioeconomic disparity was so massive in India, but I likened it to growing up in LA. And I'm like, wow, I can't, I can't have these tools and these assets. I've been gifted these things and not do anything about it. And so that's really where the vision came from. And obviously it was seeded 20 years before, and I went through four different businesses leading up to it, but this is really where the time, time was ripe. Um, and I didn't answer your question earlier. I do want to mention the social good side, because I think that's important. How do we connect that on the platform? Really there's, there's, dozens of studies out there that, uh, and Berkeley did probably the most recent one that I can think of that connect donating and volunteerism and doing good 
social giving directly to healthier, happier teams, less stressed, less anxious people. And so these early mental indicators that we focus on to reduce burnout with three good are directly impacted by people giving people exposure to these social good projects tied to the water crisis. And even as they look at it, they become de-isolated and then they donate increments. Even 50 cents a month can make a change in someone's heart and mind. So does the company put the money into an account for them for participating in the platform and giving responses and then they, the money gets, how does that, how does the financial yeah, side? App, it goes directly to the, the NPO. So okay. our, our vetted nonprofit partners, they get the hundred percent of the donation. There's no middle man transaction. Three good does not take a percentage. Everything goes directly to the NPO. Okay. And then the company can match. The company will be notified every month. Here's the most popular cause within your team. I see. Um, would you like to match? Which is a huge component to showing a company saying, hey, look, we actually support what you guys have been giving to. That's a massive important note because 88% of the workforce is looking for, they'll say, they said actually that they'll be more loyal. I think Gallup put a study out. They'll be more loyal to companies that have a CSR ESG component. And so we allow companies to actually back that up by taking action, which is great, by matching. Wow. And I guess that I assume the employees informed that, hey, company just matched your donation. So they're seeing Absolutely, yeah. positive feedback. Oh, yeah. And they can say, oh, wow, the, co- the company does care, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're actually so, doing it. Yeah. So, Raven, what's next for um, 3Good? Like, what, what do you guys see in your future? What's the next evolution of this? You said you're in beta for the platform now. We're wrapping up. We're opening up our seed rounds uh, in the next couple of months. Okay. Uh, we'll be closing that end of Q3. And uh, I just brought on Chief Product Officer, former Intuit, uh, SaaS, vetted creative director, CMO, to help build the product out for scalability. So we're working on some rather large contracts, contracts with some early adopters, big companies. And those will actually start to grow the, grow the platform. And the goal is you know, to be by end of year to at least have uh, a thousand businesses on the platform. Wow. Okay. That's, that's fantastic. So how do you guys plan to get to market? What's your, do you have a plan to, I mean, the things you're telling me are fantastic and obviously telling me, and we're going to put this out there and you're doing your own marketing, but how are you going to this? These are things, for example, we have a, a firm and we have 150 employees and I think this is great. I would like to have a thing like this, for example, but I would never have known to even look into this issue or thought about this issue. So how do you get that message out as, as a company that's launching, that this is a thing that's even, you know, mental health. We know mental health is a thing, but I mean that it's a thing companies can do something about. I never would have thought software, right? It's the last thing you think of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's so many ways that we can get ahead of it. We think that mental health is tied directly to therapy, right? It's like we, we think psychologists, yeah. psychiatrists, yeah. that's that's like the thing that we connect in our heads. But there's so many proven indicators that show that there's different areas of health that we can build into our teams early on. And the software that we use does matter. The questions that we ask matter. But um, yeah, our go-to-market strategy is really, I'm a big believer of the product speaks for itself. And so our goal is to just have a thousand happy customers by end of year. And yes. as we get that on board, the product will grow from there. We do have a podcast. It's called People Good, okay. um, where I host executives, business leaders, uh, and thought leaders, as well as psychologists, and just talking about the future of work. 
how to build healthy cultures and healthy teams. I think this is really interesting to lawyers, Raven, because it, it is a massive issue, mental health with lawyers. I think it's a probably a bigger problem in the legal practice industry than most other industries per capita. And state bar, I, I get emails all the time from state bar organizations about Lawyers Helping Lawyers is a program that we have in, in Virginia and DC. And there's all these different uh, programs, but it is alcoholism and, uh, and depression and all these things. There's just a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure with a lot of jobs, but lawyers are holding people's lives in their hand very often, mm. like literally yeah. divorces and child support and criminal and going to jail for life, all of these things. And lawyers take yeah. that pressure on themselves and it's mentally taxing. You know, I'm in the IP space and I'm taking on the pressure of trademarks and government contracts. Maybe it's not as mentally it's not as scary. It's not as life altering. On a well, person government person. contracts can be really stressful, right? Because yeah. they take 16 years to close. <laughs> yeah, they take a while. They, they, uh, we, we've been fortunate and, and close some pretty quickly, but, uh, okay. <laughs> but they can be stressful. But, but I'm talking like just as a profession generally, I think a really, and just for whatever it's worth, I think lawyers would be a great target market for you guys. I really do. Yeah. Just, just that's, law that's, practices. That's um, interesting. Yeah even working with state bars to say, hey, here's a program that you can put out through a state bar. I, I'd be happy to make an intro to the, to the Virginia State Bar here or something like that. But I just, I think it's a neat idea. I appreciate it. And it makes sense. I mean, there's so many segments and sectors that are, that are suffering right now. So Braven, if you could give like three things that a business could take away that you know, that you've learned from your experience Having four other businesses, launching uh, three good or about three good, like what? The, I mean, it seems to me three good is kind of the culmination of everything you've, you've wanted to do from what you've said. What Absolutely are the three right. things that like a business could take away from from this, or three things that a corporate counsel be like, hey, we need to do this? Braven says to for lawyers who are listening, I, I will say one thing: the entrepreneurs that you're dealing with, if they're a vetted founder they've been through this before. You know, I read every letter of every contract. Um, I think that's a strength that good founder CEOs will have. And so don't treat them like you're going to charge them for every little dot and tittle that they could just pull a template off online and write themselves. So that's really, I think that that's just like treat the founders with a little bit of uh, understanding there and maybe give a discounted rate for some of the more simple documents when they start up. I think that's that's number one. Don't charge for BS yeah. stuff that a founder could probably do on their own. I think that yeah, yeah, for sure. There's like yeah, Y Combinator has a bunch of free templates that they built out online, operations agreements, safes to help founders save money on legal fees, and yeah. a lot of people use them. And However, they, I've read them and they're not like perfect. I have my yeah. attorney go through them before I actually send them to people. So I do think it's important to understand like the de- democratization of like legalese, right? Yeah. And, and understand that like we have access to that stuff. And yeah, most of us shouldn't be using it, but we do. So All right. I, oh, we're aware. That way. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. We're aware. I, I know yeah. some guys who use the word democratization of law all the time over at LegalZoom in Pasadena. It there. probably bothers you guys, for oh, sure. So, I, so they're, a big, they're a big client of mine. I've been working okay. with them for 15 years. Okay. And actually, their new C-team are all from Intuit, which is where your guys are. It's kind of interesting. Oh, cool. Um, 
but anyway, and, and I'm a big fan of it too. I agree. Charging for like, you know, a lot of money for an independent contractor template. Yeah, yeah there you go. I see you saying, yeah. Right. I but, you know, if you're, if, if Raven, if you're coming to me saying, hey, I want to juggle chainsaws, I want to sell chainsaws to be juggled, you know, we got to do a little work there on your customer yeah. client, client service agreement. No, um, you're absolutely right. So, so for sure, there's a place for both. But got it. So, so your your advice, walkaway advice to the lawyers listening is, hey guys, treat founders like they're smart people because generally they are. And yeah, and I say generally because I, I know a lot of founders too. I I started a business at one time. Most yeah. of them are if they're doing it in their experience. Some of them though, they're yeah, it's working, true. They need know, the help. Yeah, I just think it's to build, build the relationship. I think is important. It's any yeah. business, any business relationship. Um, you know, I think it's, it's important. Number two, business um, owners, anything for yeah. business owners, like who, who were like, Hey, I'm running a business. What, what does Raven say to me? Yeah. Don't run out of money. Just keep raising money. Don't stop fundraising. I think it's really important. There's this false reality that people just seem to think if, if I build it, the Kevin Costner field of dreams reality that yeah. <laughs> I mentioned, they will come. if I build it, they will come, but that's not true. And there's a, all ghosts. They weren't really people. But <laughs> yeah. clearly that's not yeah. actually happening. If you build it, they will come. The ghosts will show up and then you have a yeah. field that nobody's <laughs> using in the middle of nowhere that I a bunch that, of ghosts yeah. played on once. It's not that useful. Yeah, I don't know I'm why that you. movie was so popular. Such a <laughs> weird thing. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's important is to, to understand that, you know, you need to validate who your customer is and, and really understand through the interviews. Um, yeah. And it's called pretotyping. So I would just say pretotype everything. There's a professor at Stanford that wrote the, wrote a book called The Right It. I can't remember his th- name right now, but we can include it in episode notes. It's called The Right yeah. It. And he okay. talks about how most people build products based upon their own opinions or other people's opinions versus Yoda, which is your own data. And so you need to create data right away with any product or service that you're launching by going out and selling it early. So it's called pre-otyping. It becomes before the prototype. Because okay. prototyping of a real product could take over a year. Right. You know, I think average is 12 to 18 months for software. And if you're just doing interviews and saying, would you pay for this, Mr. HR manager? Like if 3Good did that, they would say, yeah. But they're not actually writing a check. Right. And there's a big difference, right? So pre-otype everything. You know, if you build it, they will not come. Right. Duct yeah. tape something together and go sell it. And if someone buys it, then you have something. That's smart. Okay, I like that. Now tell me about social, mental, and emotional health and all of that. Is there anything you can advise? I mean, besides like, hey, you need to get three good. Like we know that. Like that's a good and useful solution. But what would you say about interfacing with employees generally as a business? Like what have you learned from your kind of beta experience about how employees are using the product and what kind of response and results do you get from that? HR seems to have a problem when people respond negatively. And, but that's a good thing. The fact is, uh, if you're getting a negative res- response from someone, that's a good thing because you're getting data right. and they're venting. And so that's better than a survey that goes out and is unanswered. So right. I think it's, that's really important is to understand that, look, the negative stuff coming from your team through 3Good or through the survey, that's positive and, and make sense of that. Use that. Use that to your advantage because there's health in that. Okay. No, I like that. So the three things I'm taking away are from Braven is lawyers, treat your founders and your entrepreneurs with respect if that's what you do. 
two, if you're a founder or entrepreneur, always be raising money. But so we're going to go with four things. Always be raising money, have ramp, and then pre-tototype, which I hadn't heard of and I love, but in the software space, Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams is full of ghosts. You don't want those yeah. people to show up. They don't, yeah. have, those don't have any money. They don't have any pockets. And then your fourth thing was that negative feedback from employees when they're giving it to you is valuable, useful, not only a data point, but you're giving them a way to vent instead of taking negative actions or doing negative things or leaving your company or putting bad things on glass door reviews, whatever it is. You're giving them an outlet as well. So there's value yeah. there. It's, that's, yeah. that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. The first customer that started using this was a very small company, uh, an agency. The partner came to me and said, this was like a total beta, like we're testing it, right? Right. They said, oh, everybody's complaining about the questions that uh, Free Good is asking. And I'm like, well, are they answering them? Yes. And I'm like, well, that's good. You're in a good spot because you have a bunch of people talking that weren't talking before. They were just burying it. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's fantastic. I, I want to hear more about it, like maybe offline. If you are Absolutely, running, yeah. If you're still running your beta, maybe we could do like participate as a law firm in your beta or something because, you know, I, Absolutely. I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. You um, got it. So, Raven, you know, you mentioned before the show that you've got a black letter law story. And I, and I don't know if you, you listened to the intro to our show, black letter law. The whole idea was in, in England, they're like, let's keep the font in black letters so normal people can't read the law. Let's make it harder for people to be able to do stuff. So I want to hear the black letter law story. Like, what is that? Well, first, I'm not a lawyer, uh, Thomas. So this, I'm probably half of this is probably ignorant. But I guess, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, black letter law is how the the actual legal language in a given agreement will protect you from death, dismay, and litigation. Is am I correct? Like the idea behind it now, as it's used colloquial, is that it is. Okay. The law that's established. It's the law that's been around forever. That's black letter law. It's you okay. can't change it. It's printed in the legal book. And I mean, you know. So it's less specific than what I said. Yeah, it's a little bit yeah. less specific. It's like to have a contract, you need two parties and a meeting of the minds. That's black letter law, for example. That's how it's used colloquially. Um, yeah. But it didn't used to mean that. It used to mean the fonts and all of that. But okay. anyway, t- tell me your story. I want to hear your law story. Um, you know, I'm sure it kills lawyers, so. <laughs> no, it's I lo- actually like working with lawyers. I, I I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to probably because I'm a designer. That's my background before I started to become a serial entrepreneur. So I love the details, like every okay. dot and diddle, just looking at the details. But um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple. I have one where I wrote in a royalty to uh-huh. a publicly traded company if they had a certain percentage of increase in their revenue in the first. 24 months of when that we launched the new brand from this as a branding agency, we would get a percentage in the company. So my goal was if they don't read it, they'll sign it. Wow. <laughs> They're going to get this. They're going to get, I'm going to get this royalty when they go public, it'll be worth a lot of money. But what I learned is you can't do that. <laughs> right. Right. Because one is you, everything needs to be transparent. That's super important. So it has to be a meeting of the minds. Yep. Yes. Yes. You have to so, know what you're contracting for. Yeah. You have to know what you're contracting for. Expectations are real. And so that was my ignorance on that one. Yeah. Um, and that was early on in my career. Good right. idea. But yeah. Out, yeah. <laughs> stuff by people, unfortunately, it doesn't hold up legally. 
Yeah. But, so I like so, it. Yeah, exactly. My my favorite story though is that um we had partnered with a company um that I won't name. They were to do a list of services for for one of my businesses. It was like 50% up front, you know, a bunch of money. I think it was like $75,000. And then uh, they're, they're supposed to get a certain percentage of the company as well up front. Okay. And then upon delivery, the final amount was to be paid by my company. The interesting thing was, is it really didn't, it was a lot of risk for me. I hadn't worked with them before. And so what I did is I built tranches out in the contract. And so it was 25% upon delivery and approval. Gotcha. Another gotcha. 25%, right? Yep. And then vesting the percentage, the equity stake. The interesting thing about it was their CEO didn't read the contract, which is crazy. Yeah. So it was signed by a partner. Everything was signed. Wow. And then six to eight months later, I'm on the phone basically with the CEO saying, hey, you guys haven't delivered. And he's like sending me invoices. And I'm like, I haven't approved any of this. Look at the emails from my project manager. Right. And he says to me, well, why would, you, why would that be in the contract? It's totally to your advantage. And I was like, of course it is. We have to protect yeah, our investments, yeah. right? Uh, did you read the contract? And it was very awkward because the CEO hadn't read the contract. So the whole point is, is you have to look at those details as a business owner in the contracts. And as a founder, CEO, you have to know every dot and tittle of the contract. Well, and it's I, negligent if you don't. And, and I will and tell you... That's case in point. From his Raven, I, I see those contracts from clients and they'll come to me with a litigation or a dispute case. And I'll look at the contract and they'll say, who did this? Oh my gosh, you just gave them everything in your contract. This has happened. I'm in this case now. And uh, the... Yeah. Almost invariably, if it's not, we did it, we pulled it down off the web and they didn't have anybody look at it. Pulling one down off the web is a good place to start. Sure. But you need somebody to look at it because contracts are sometimes written for the other party. And if you're pulling it down and using it, I mean, this is what happened here, which is crazy. It was so bad. And then the other thing I'll see is, oh, my brother Lance did it. He's a divorce lawyer. I was like, you oh, did no. an IP licensing agreement. <laughs> I wouldn't do your divorce. There's no question. I'm not confident, but Lance probably shouldn't have done your IP license. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> so that's the other thing we see, but it creates work for other lawyers. So, you know, it, it is moving the law economy forward, but, um, but I think that those are really good points. So I appreciate that, Braven. Good stories. So Braven's company, Three Goods, launching its in-market space product very soon. They're finishing up their beta. So it will be coming to, I guess, a store near you, a website near you. <laughs> so look for it and reach out. You can find them at threegood.com or you can just look up Braven's name because I'm pretty sure Braven Greenelsh is the only guy out there uh, in this space with the name uh, Braven Greenelsh. Uh, thanks, Braven, for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Thomas. And thank you, everybody who's out there in podcast land uh, for downloading us on iTunes and Google Play. And of course, our YouTube channel, if you want to see our lovely faces on the internet. We'll see you next time on the Black Letter Podcast. Braven from 3Good uh, will be launching his alpha soon. So uh, stay tuned and look for the product. Thanks. 
That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.